are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 65. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction to recovery. Hello, 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 my friends. It has been a little bit of time. I am not used to missing a week. and In fact, I have missed two Tuesdays now. This is going to be coming out, I don't know, like a Thursday night, perhaps, maybe Friday morning. We'll see when the software decides to cooperate. I hope this finds you well in your addiction recovery journey, in your sobriety, in your quarantine, in your COVID catastrophe, (laughs) depending on what state you live in, uh, you're experiencing whatever you're experiencing. This has been um, quite the journey. Um, For me, I just passed two months of being laid off from my job and just, um, you know, getting used to what life um, has been throwing at us, throwing at me. Um, I will certainly say that I have enjoyed this time away from the hotel gig. Um, I am by no means looking to go back (laughs) anytime soon. Um, In a way, it's not necessarily that I don't want to work. I I loved the job. When I look at it um, from the perspective of what will business be like um, in hotels, in restaurants, in society in general, when we first start to go back out into the wild, you know, and the social distancing and the fear of touching one another and heaven forbid somebody coughs or sneezes around you, which is, you know, something people just normally do. (laughs) Coughing and sneezing is by no means a sign that somebody is definitely sick. Um, It'll be very interesting. And business is going to certainly suffer. Um, And so, you know, my normal, very busy, chaotic shift will certainly be um, much less than that. So it'll be interesting to see how all that comes back. And I think that's some of the hesitation to want to go back. Um, I've been able to accomplish so many things over this quarantine. Uh, The book, College Success Habits, The Seven Powerful Principles to Help You Excel in College and Beyond, comes out a week from today. Um, There's been so many different hurdles to overcome in this journey to get this book um, published. Certainly, I thought that writing a book was was going to be a challenge. Uh, That actually ended up being the easiest part of this entire process. Um, Just so many working pieces involved. And the fact that there was a quarantine, um, you know, not being able to get certain things printed that I wanted done. It just... It's been quite the journey, and so it's coming out. Um, you know, my my dream of going on a book signing tour at all the bookstores here in Los Angeles, and of contacting the colleges and going and and uh, doing presentations at their bookstores there at their quads, you know, on their campuses, and and signing copies and, and meeting college students and, and meeting you know, teachers and professors and administrators and, you know, getting the word out on my book. All of this has been stopped cold in its tracks. Uh, It's going to be very interesting to see what happens when um, schools do open back up. They're already talking about perhaps not even doing it in the fall. Um, You know, there goes my football season. I'm obsessed with football, you know, and, and it's, I think, so many different things have had to be changed in order for me to move forward on this. 
And if it's something that you're interested in, you know, I, I get that it's called college success habits. So a lot of people might uh, not think that they need that because they're not in school or they're not thinking of school. And I can assure you, one, if, you know, you've got a kid in middle school, high school, college, even recently graduated. Heck, if you're just someone in general who is looking for seven principles that will help you power through anything in life. I honest, Honestly, I could have changed some of the narrative in the book around the seven principles, but easily have called this From Sobriety to Recovery, an addiction recovery journey. Um, the seven principles, develop a growth mindset, cultivate courage, be decisive, take action, embrace discipline, exercise flexibility, embody tenaciousness. All seven of those are principles that I have used throughout my life and didn't necessarily um, know how to put it into words until my sobriety came. And then I started looking at just, you know, what it was I was going to do with, you know, my new brain and the new body and this whole new life that I had created for myself and I remember when I was doing the very first outline for this book, and I was taking all these other college books that I went out and got as sort of like a guideline to like, okay, well, these people have been successful with this book, and they're on the 10th edition of it. So surely if I write something similar, I will also see similar success. And it wasn't until I got into a conversation with my life coach and mentor, Matt Browning, that we started talking about uh, what my journey had been like when I was younger, what my journey was like in college, uh, in my 30s, and certainly when I got into sobriety and recovery. And we really started to discuss, you know, what were the principles that I use as my lighthouse? What were the underlying um, things that I had cultivated within myself that allowed me to step into this new life with this renewed sense of vigor and excitement and enthusiasm. And we said, well, you know, there's, let's look in, let's look into that. And uh, literally in like a 30 minute brainstorming session, we came down with the idea of principles that I have now begun to build my life around and had been, but just not being necessarily aware of it. Right. Like being aware of what you're aware of is one of the most self enlightening things that you can do. There's a lot of times that, especially in our addiction recovery, where we're being guided by these undercurrents of habits that we've created, these behaviors that have just become so routine that we don't even realize that we're doing it. Right? I mean, this is you know just like how you get into addiction. Right? No one's born and like, oh, you're definitely going to be an addict. It might be in your bloodline and it might have some sort of DNA from previous generations having you know gone through the addiction cycle. But certainly, it's not like it's predetermined that you're definitely going to have to deal with this. We've talked about how my brother has managed to not find himself in the addiction cycle, yet we come from the same bloodline. So moving beyond that, you know, when you step outside of yourself and start thinking, well, what are the behaviors that are controlling the outcomes that I have? What are the things that I've begun to systematize and have been systematizing for so long that I don't even realize that I'm doing it anymore? Something as simple as, you know, when you first see a member of your family in the morning, 
you know, when they say everybody's saying good morning, we're all a little fuzzy and we're, you know, reaching for the coffee or the water or whatever we do to to wake up, you know, our morning routine, you know, is there like, I hate mornings, God, Mondays suck. Or we, you know, excited, hey, good morning, I can't wait for today, right? Like just your energy that you roll out of bed with and the way that you greet the people in your household or the way that you greet the people whenever you go to work and just our general attitude that we just bring to our lives these are the kind of things that just at some point just get so systematized we don't even realize how our behavior is really affecting our actions which obviously bring out the results and so when I sat down with Matt and we really started to to hammer this out uh, we came up with these seven principles remarkably quickly there was probably 20 or 30 different words that we started to throw out um there was multiple people in the room and so everyone was just sort of tossing things at me and there was just certainly ones that stuck out and these seven stuck out and so rather than write the book based on what i had previously thought and i actually just last night i'm organizing um my room and so that i can begin to teach myself how to mind map and i'll go into that a little bit later um i found my original brainstorming um, board for the book and what I was going to talk about versus what ultimately the book became is so completely different. And that's one of the amazing parts of this journey that we're on with sobriety and recovery. It's one of the amazing things about the book is that even though it didn't turn out as I originally had thought it was going to turn out, it turned out even better because I was willing to be flexible throughout the entire process and really get my truth out and speak what I was I thought would help the most people understand how contentious college can really be if you go into it with the wrong kind of mindset, just like your addiction recovery journey. If you go into it with a fixed mindset of this is how it has to be and this is exactly how it needs to play out and I have to hit this many meetings a week and I have to do this every single day or I'm not going to succeed. If you go into it that mindset and one little blip comes across the radar screen and now you can't go to that meeting. Now Corona shows up and every routine that you had built around your recovery all of a sudden just gets shaken up in this bag and thrown out on the board. Right? Like if our lives are this gigantic puzzle and we're constantly putting the pieces together and seeing what we can get to fit, then something like Corona rolls in and now we just take all the puzzle pieces, throw them back in the box, shake it up, and then dump it back out on the table and we're like, great, I had the damn thing (laughs) 60% completed and now i got to start over at the beginning. And so I honestly do think that if you go out and you get this book, and you read it with an open growth mindset oriented um, experience and energy about it, you will immediately be able to see how all seven of these principles can adapt very cohesively right into your sobriety and recovery program. And when I go to write my book on my first five years of addiction recovery, Um, I've already got the title planned out. I've begun to plot out the chapters. Um, I actually want the book to come out on my five-year soberversary, which would be uh, January 13th, 2022. So I will begin to um, write this book 
sometime at the beginning of 2021. So I guess it would really only be about my first four years. Um, but it really, it's going to be more of this, you know, compilation of, you know, I've, I've really been battling with how much to go back and tell about old stories versus how much to talk about what it is my life has become in addiction recovery. And uh, certainly you can go to any meeting and we've all got a hundred stories of how we got too blacked out or did something stupid. So you don't want to go back too many times and discuss that, but you also want to be able to bring about some context of what this one particular story taught me and how I now utilize that experience in my addiction recovery. So it'll be very interesting to see how um, I juxtapose all of that and be able to put it into a a book that uh, people will enjoy and they'll gain something out of. So it'll be really cool to go over that. But again, just about the book, it's coming out next Thursday. I'm super pumped. You're definitely going to be seeing things on social media. If you're listening to this in the archive, then by all means, if you go onto Instagram or my Facebook, you're definitely going to have seen things about it because this book is one of those that it doesn't have necessarily a timeline that it's stuck to. It's not about current events. I wrote this, you know, almost nine months ago. So there's no mention of Corona in it at all. So if you want to get away from that, my book's your answer. Um, and as I thought, blah, 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 let me try this word again. As I tried to think about what I was going to talk about on the show today, um, I guess what I really wanted to bring about was there was really no main topic. I know I usually have uh, researched in depth and I'm bringing like a certain topic to the table. This is definitely going to be one of those episodes where it's almost like a um, an audio vlog of what has occurred over the last 10 days that caused me not to be able to come and do the show at my regularly scheduled points in time. And two Saturdays ago, I found myself at a very legally open beach where we were allowed to be there and play and lay lay out and get some sun. And uh, I went out and got myself a boogie board and I was super pumped. I hadn't boogie boarded in quite some time. And I just love, you know, riding waves all the way to the shoreline. It's just one of the most hilarious experiences that you can have. If you've never had that experience, next time you find yourself in an ocean, uh, get to an ocean and then get yourself rent a boogie board from someplace. And uh, you can watch a five-year-old do it, and it's pretty exciting. (laughs) You can learn it pretty quickly. But one of the things that they should tell you whenever you get on these boogie boards is that when you're at the top of a wave, do not push down on the front of the boogie board. When you push down on the front of the boogie board, it especially at the top of a wave, I don't know if there's other times to not push down on the front. I'm going to assume there are because what happened to me when I pushed down on the front was nothing, <laughs> it was damn near a catastrophe. And um, I'm very lucky that I'm even walking right now, let alone um, as physically, you know, in one piece as I am. Uh, I pushed down on the front of the boogie board. The boogie board went perpendicular to the wave, which sent me straight down to the bottom of the ocean, which was probably about seven or eight feet. It was it was a pretty good sized wave, and I was out in pretty deep water whenever this occurred. Um, if you find five foot deep water, uh, deep, um, some people may not. But in the ocean, you know, when the water starts to go over your head, when it's just normally there, it, it can be a little unnerving. I. I was raised on Jaws as a kid, and so I'm not a big fan of being out in open water where I can't see the bottom. 
Um, I spent almost 15, 20 years of my life in Florida, where if there's a lake, then there's definitely an alligator in it. <laughs> and so anytime I'm in water where I can't see the bottom, uh, I get a little uh, freaked out. Um, truth be told, actually, um, I've been in some gigantic Olympic-sized swimming pools before and had there not be a ton of people in it. And that freaks me out. Uh, and I get that it's ridiculous. There's no chance that there's going to be a creature in there that will eat me. Although there was a piranha movie when I was a kid where piranhas in the lake figured out how to get into a swimming pool through the water pipes. And that did not turn out well for the people in the swimming pool. So <laughs> maybe there's that underlying fear. Um and we definitely found an alligator in our pool one time in Florida. But anyways, I digress about alligators and sharks. I'm just not a big, huge fan of bodies of water I can't see the bottom of. Um, anyways, my boogie board went straight down to the bottom. I smashed my face so hard on the bottom of the ocean. Um, it was like Mike Tyson punching me five times, but all at once. Um, I Massive contusion of the nose. Basically, I damn near broke it. Um, it just was humongous, uh, scraped, you know, just smashed my face. Um, just this huge scab had for ended up forming underneath my nose. Um, I did a laceration of the lip, tore this piece of skin at the bottom of my lip, I broke my pinky, caused nerve damage to my left and right hand. Uh, just a calamity. And just, I don't deal well with injuring myself. Um, I tend to get very hard on myself about things like that, you know, going back and replaying the event multiple times in my head, like to infinity and beyond, um, thinking about what I could have done better. I even went off and started watching YouTube videos on how to boogie board, uh, which is how I learned that the term for what I did is called purling. Pearl, like something you would find in an ocean. Purling is what happens when you push the board um, down at the front and you slam your feet, you go feet overhead and slam your face into the bottom of the ocean. Um, it was just insane. Um, I just got up and I was just so dazed and bewildered. By the time it was all said and done, they ended up putting a neck thing around me and boarding me and carrying me over to an ambulance. And then there was hours in a freaking emergency room getting CAT scans and MRIs and um, freaking face x-rays, hand x-rays, back x-rays, neck x-rays. My goodness, I must have been 10 different x-rays, uh, MRI, CAT scans, CT. It's like, goodness gracious. Um, luckily, my insurance covered a vast majority of it all. So no financial calamity at all came from this. But just the very depressed state is how I spent most of last week. Um, just feeling very down about what had happened to me, my decision to push down on the front of the board, which is just an accident. How was I supposed to know? Lots of people who, you know, spend their childhood at Oceans, they apparently know this because I've had some friends laugh at me. Um, the point being is that in life, we're going to make mistakes. Accidents are going to happen. And when this happens in our lives, it's just going to be very important for you to stay self-aware about the kind of internal language that we're using on ourselves. Um, mine was certainly not friendly uh, to myself at all. Um, I was very, very tough on myself. Um, you know, it probably took me the whole week to really be able to just release it. Um, I can still 
um, I don't even have to close my eyes. I can literally just picture, like, I don't necessarily, because it took less than a second for this whole thing to play out from the top of the wave to the bottom of the ocean. But I can picture just that smashing. Just, I can, it's like the pitch in, I have a constant ringing in my ears called tinnitus. That that tone changed the moment I hit my face on the bottom. Uh, I got up just bewildered. My hands were tingling. My, my It was like, I'm serious, five punches to the face by Mike Tyson. The emergency room doctor said it was like being hit by a car going 35 miles an hour, um, which sounds pretty bad. <laughs> um, and so I can I can literally just, it's like it's almost like a like a PTSD about this, and so just tough, um, very tough. And you know I'm human, and I know that accidents happen. You know you can do everything in your power to try to avoid them. You know um, my dad loves to ride a motorcycle without a helmet. He thinks it's super freeing. I think it's super stupid and dangerous. I don't get on my motorcycle without a helmet. Um, in fact, I haven't gotten on my motorcycle in a couple years because I feel like I have a concentration issue. I don't focus um, very well. Sometimes I like to go, like, get in my head and I'm starting to daydream. And it, you know, whether meditation's the answer or whether just trying to focus, whatever the answer might be to that, that's not the point. The point is, is I don't think that I, it would be a good idea for me to get on a motorcycle most of the time, especially in L.A., where every intersection is a potential chance for some moron not to see me. And so I haven't been on the motorcycle in a while because I'm just like, you know what, I just don't think that I am mentally in a place where I can keep my safety as the high, at the highest regard. Um, so I just uh, I steer away from, no pun intended, from getting on a motorcycle because I just don't think it's the safest idea for me right now. I certainly look forward to the day where I do if I didn't live in smack dab in the middle of Hollywood, I certainly think getting on a motorcycle would be a lot more fun. Um, getting in a car. I don't wear a seatbelt because it's legally the law. It, the law has nothing to do with why I put a seatbelt on. I don't feel safe in a car going 60 to 80 miles an hour without one on. I don't feel safe going 30 miles an hour. I have been in multiple car accidents because of my drinking. I know what it's like to smash my face up against a steering wheel or a windshield. Um, I don't think my body really wants any more head traumas. I'm at six now in my life. I'm very surprised I'm not paralyzed. So I don't put on a seatbelt because it's legally I'm legally liable for it. <laughs> I put it on because I don't want to go through another windshield. So you can do whatever possible to um, avert any kind of accidents in your life, but ultimately you can only be so prepared. They're called accidents because they happen. You know, um, one of my friends, Todd, said a really cool quote one time. It's like something, I'm going to paraphrase it here because I've been trying to remember it this whole week. Something to the effect of it takes less than a second for an accident to occur, but it can take a lifetime to heal from it. And look at that. I think that's about as close as I'm going to be able to to remember it. But think about that. You know, it takes less than a second for another car or for you to lose focus and to hit another car. It takes less than a second for a boogie board to smash my face down at the bottom of the ocean, right? It takes less than a second for so many different accidents, so many different, there's just so many. I got a surfer recently got chomped up over at Monterey Bay in, in San Francisco, 
right? It takes less than a second for a shark to come out of freaking nowhere and chomp you up, right? Now, mind you, sharks kill like less than 10 people a year, and I think we kill tens of thousands of them, so I'm pretty sure we're winning against the sharks. But point being is it takes less than a second for an accident to occur. It can take a lifetime to overcome it. It can take a lifetime to heal from it. It can take a lifetime to make amends towards somebody else if your accident hurt someone else. So we can only do so much to prepare for them. It's the aftermath that's important. It's always about the aftermath. Of, of damn near everything in life. I, I'm not a big fan of definitive, so let's take back the always, but just think about that. It's generally about the aftermath. Like you do something, and then it's your experience it's the experience that you remember from it. It's the experience that you go off and tell people about it. It's the experience that other people had while they were there with you. And it's the memory that, that lasts way longer than the actual event, the actual moment ever will. You can stand in line for a roller coaster for two hours and think, this is miserable. My God, I just want this to be over with. And then you get on the roller coaster and you have three or four minutes of sheer joy. And you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then it's done. Now you have the memory of that roller coaster, and that's going to last way longer than two hours. So eventually, that two-hour-long wait may not even be something that you remember. You just remember the roller coaster ride. So now it's the aftermath. It's the memory you take from it. It's the experience that comes from it. Not knowing how to adequately deal with the aftermath of life events and things that occurred in general, around us, to us, through us, whatever it might be, that's really where I think a lot of the suffering and the pain in my life has come from. Yeah, it's super, super sucked to watch my mom get diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was eight years old and have to go through 20 or 30 surgeries and damn near die every other month for three or four years and me subsequently have to become the quote-unquote man of the house because my stepdad decided his only way of being able to deal with it was to work 18 hours a day and show us his love by making sure that everything that he did came with a receipt. I've talked about this in the past. My, my stepdad showed his, the only way he knew how to show his love was with a receipt, meaning he, had, he would just buy us things. For 10 years, we, we, our family did extremely well financially because he chose to ignore every other aspect of his life other than that job and his duck blind. He loved going down into his duck blind and smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee and not shooting ducks. <laughs> but <laughs> it is not the childhood I would have preferred, but it is a childhood that I had and is the aftermath of the childhood that I now am working through. Right, the daddy issues, the mommy issues, the constantly moving around for his job. So I never stayed in one place longer than a year until I was in middle school. And then only two years for middle school, two years for one of my high schools, and two years for another high school. So we were never in one place longer than a couple years. And so now it's a, the aftermath of all of that is what I'm dealing with whenever I have these emotional blocks, when I can't express my emotions adequately to the best of my wants, needs, and desires, I find myself still stuck in these old patterns of my uh, emotional availability and such. It's all things that I'm working through because of this childhood. It's the aftermath. 
that I'm still working through. The event of helping my mom clean up dirty sheets because her ostomy bag broke, that's long gone. But the trauma that it brought about, the emotional discourse in, in myself whenever I see people in need and I have this constant desire to want to be able to help them, comes from that childhood. Your behaviors, your actions, the results you get from them are all stemming from these thoughts and these feelings that you're having about things that happened years ago. It's something that we do. We have a human brain. You don't get to turn this off unless you're like a sociopath who has like zero emotions. I'm talking like, you you know, you're a hitman and you're just like, and it doesn't even bother you. Then, you know, then you're feeling things. There was a there was a TV show. Um, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of it now because I so I so desperately want to remember the name of it, and uh, I think it was called Person of Interest. Yes, it was called Person of Interest, and there was a woman in there who was a hitman, and she had like zero emotions, and she could just go off and do whatever it needed, and it was like, yeah, that's done. I just had to murder everybody in that bar, but I'm good now. Let's let's go have a cheeseburger. And then I think about her character versus this one um, named Barry on an HBO show where he's a hitman who used to have that kind of blasé attitude with his emotions. And now he's beginning to wake up and come out of it. And I just think, like, those are the kind of people, you know, it's like you don't want to be the person who doesn't deal at all with your emotions and doesn't start to deal with the aftermath that you have. You also don't want to be somebody who spends so many years behaving that way and then just expects that overnight you're going to know how to deal with all these newfound emotions that are starting to come at you, right? And the person of interest, she has no interest in figuring out her emotions and goes about life the same way and probably will. We never saw, you know, it's a character, it's a TV show, that's not the point. The point is is that no emotional connection at all with anything or anyone versus this other character, Barry, who had no emotional connection with anyone, but now is beginning to awaken to these emotions. And it's obviously funny to watch it happen on the screen because he doesn't know how to deal with them. He doesn't understand them. This is what we're very much like. We spent years and years and years being detached from our emotions thinking that other people caused us to act this way, that it's somebody else's fault that I behave this way, that, oh, yeah, that person caused trauma on me, so now I get to play the victim card for the rest of my life without taking any personal responsibility for the healing of my trauma. Trauma is not our fault. We've talked about this, but the responsibility to heal it is very much our fault. Tying this back into what happened to me on the boogie board, right, the, the trauma of that boogie board accident has taught me that in the future when I'm going to do something very physically active that I have never done or haven't done in a long time, it's probably best to jump on Google and type in the sentence, what not to do on A, and then whatever the activity is right behind it. Right, So what not to do on a boogie board, what not to do on a motorcycle, what not to do while skydiving, what not to do while hang gliding, what not to do while wrestling a dog. Right, <laughs> It's like, you know, if you're going to do something that's going to put you in a position where your lack of knowledge about the activity could cause you harm, it wouldn't hurt to jump on Google and just type in what not to do when beginning to... Um, run beehives, <laughs> what not to do when learning how to tame sharks, whatever it might be, 
just throwing it out there as an idea. Jump on the Google <laughs> and just type in what not to do when lifting weights that are twice your weight, right? Like what not to do when walking down a dark street <laughs> in a very bad side of town. Just think about what a little bit of research might be able to help you overcome. Because had I gone and literally typed in what to not to do on a boogie board, one of the very first videos that pops up is one talking about purling and how you do not want to push down on the front of the board or you will go feet overhead. Now, would I have realized that I could possibly paralyze myself when I did that? No. But I certainly would have been more mindful not to do it. When life ends up bringing you all these new opportunities and experiences. There is some, only so much research you can do before you actually have to go out and do it. There's only so much research you can do about getting sober before the actual, you have to just get sober. There's only so much research you can do and reading you can do to prepare for the addiction recovery journey before you just, you just find yourself in it. No day is perfect. I'm not perfect. I have sadness. I have depression. I have confusion. I have suffering. I'm, we're all human. If there is one thing that we can all agree on, and even if you don't want to agree on it, it's happening anyways. I don't. You don't have to agree that the earth is round for it to just be a fucking fact. <laughs> Nor do you have to agree that everyone's suffering, everyone goes through depression, everyone has self-esteem issues. You can think that you're the only one, or you can think that this famous movie star doesn't suffer from this stuff, and you will be absolutely wrong. We all go through it. We have a human brain. It's just it's in our it's in our DNA. We're conditioned to worry about things and to keep an eye out for things and to wonder if the saber toothed cat's around the rock or if maybe those berries are poisonous. It's just been written into our DNA. So as you're going through your journey, and you're and you're and you're in this quarantine and you're in this COVID and you're wondering what the frick was the point of this episode, dude? You've been rambling for thirty minutes and I'm not really sure you've taught me anything. <laughs> if nothing else, I have taught you patience. <laughs> I want to leave you with this little bit of wisdom that I have not thought out, so I'm really just riffing here, (laughs) that we don't really know what's coming around the corner. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. The beauty of the Tony Robbins' Six Human Needs is one: the first one's certainty, the second one's uncertainty. The beauty of it is, is that you can only have so much certainty in life. You know, you can say, well, I'm certain I'll wake up tomorrow morning in my bed, and I'm certain that I'll go out and get in my car, and I'm certain that I'll go into work, and I'm certain that, um, you know, I'm going to have a cheeseburger for lunch because that's what I want. Like, there are, you can think that that's certain, and then you can smash your face at the bottom of the ocean, and your whole next week is completely screwed. Somebody could eat bat soup in China, and the whole world has to shut down for, for months on end. Like, I cannot stand this whole this is the new normal. I can, if I don't know why I have so much seething like anger in myself when I hear people say this is the new normal like I want to headbutt people because it's not the new normal. That whatever we were doing before wasn't even the new normal. It was just life. Each day was whatever it was. Was this normal? What I consider normal other people might think was completely absurd. So a normal who according to who? Who is this normal to? Who was this abnormal to? Someone living in the mountains without a television and very little human contact may not even know that we're going through a calamity. Their their quote-unquote normal is just going out and getting some berries and hoping that the bear next door doesn't eat them today. 
right? I, I don't know why it upsets me so much with this new normal word that keeps getting tossed about. There is certainty and there is uncertainty. And if there is one thing that we can be comforted in knowing is that they are doing a dance around one another constantly. I was certain I was going to go to the beach that day and have fun. I did not see smashing my face at the bottom of the ocean as being the outcome for that day. We can be certain that I'm going to wake up today sober. I knew I was going to wake up today sober. I was certain of that because when I went to bed, I was sober. Unless I have a sleepwalking issue where I somehow can go out of my house, get to a liquor store, buy some booze, drink it, and end up back in my bed asleep without realizing it, I knew I was going to wake up sober. What the rest of the day is going to have, I have no clue. I live in Los Angeles. A freaking earthquake could happen while I'm shooting this thing. My house could collapse down upon me. I don't know. There's only so many things that we can really hold on tightly and say, I am certain this is definitely going to happen. Because you just there's, there's all this other uncertainty, right? We don't live in a bubble. We live in a world where some, you, could, you, know, you could be on your way to work and someone else could you know, rear-end you and now you, your car is broken and you don't get to go to work. And you thought, well, I was certain I was going to go have lunch with my partner today, but now I can't because my car got rear-ended. Like, there's only so many things we can't control. And I think I still haven't gotten the words of wisdom out, and I don't know if I will. All I know is that as I thought about what happened last week, as I got very upset with myself about not being able to control a situation that I never really was in control of to begin with, right? Some of you can say, well, if you hadn't pushed down on the front of the boogie board, you wouldn't have smashed your face, perhaps. There was also a sign on the shore that said that a shark had been spotted the, uh, the day previous. So maybe me smashing my face on the bottom of the ocean is what got me out of the water and the shark didn't eat me 20 minutes later. We just don't know. We don't know so many things. So be gentle with yourself when things don't go as well as you would have liked when really so much of it was out of your control anyways. It's like when I prepare for these podcasts, how it lands in your ears, if you listen to the whole show, if you enjoy it, if you find me compelling, if you think that, I'm, that I speak clearly or my points are concise, or whether you think that I'm all over the place, that's your perspective. Somebody else is concise or somebody else is rambling. You really only have so much control over all that is happening around you. The only thing you really can control is your your thoughts and your feelings and your actions, right? Like you can control your thoughts about each morning. You can control your feelings about um, the people in your house when you see them first thing in the morning. You can control your actions, whether you smile and give them a hug or whether you go, I hate today, right? Like you can you can control those things. What everybody else is doing, all the other infinite amounts of organisms and bacteria and viruses and people and places and things that are around you that affect your day, you don't have control over them. So just do the best that you can. When things go awry, 
when you smash your face up against the bottom of the ocean floor, when your job lays you off after seven years because of a virus calamity, whenever people sit here and they're constantly future pacing on the news about what the new world order is going to look like when we all finally leave our homes. Uh, you know, are we ever going to shake hands again? How, how long are we going to have to stay on six feet away from each other at restaurants? Are we ever going to be able to go to sporting events and, and football games and concerts again? It's like, there's only so much future pacing I even want to listen to other people do. Because at some point, it's just like, oh my God, it's, it's just conjecture. People are just rambling, trying to fill up the 24-hour news cycle, and they're saying nothing of merit. Turn off the news. Turn off the internet once in a while. Sit with your own thoughts. Pick up a book. Think about things from a different perspective. Know that whether you think you're certain about something or you think you're uncertain about something, that there's a very good chance that both are in play at the same time. And if you smash your face up against the ocean, the best you can do next time, watch a few videos to make sure that you know what you're doing. Don't push down on the front of the boogie board. And just try, try, try again. That's what addiction recovery is all about. Stepping into a new version of ourselves, knowing that we have very little control over so much, yet we can definitely control ourselves. And then just go in with it, man. Just go with it. Beating myself up for a week, it didn't really serve me all that well, but it definitely taught me what not to do to myself. It definitely helped me come up with something to talk about today. It definitely showed me that there can be some really crappy days where I can barely move my right arm and now I can actually move it forward, right? My, my finger's starting to wake up a little bit. My left hand's back to normal already. Without bad days, we don't realize how amazing the good days are. When we're finally released back out into the wild, in three, six, nine, twelve months from now, we barely remember what it was like to be locked in our house for months on end. Go back. Maybe you're listening to this show, and it's 2022, and you don't even people aren't even talking about Corona anymore. And there will be a day where it's just a blip on the radar. When 9/11 went down. I thought people were going to be talking about that for the rest of my life. Now it's people barely pay attention to it when it comes across the calendar and it's time to do the memorial services that day. Yet the aftermath of that event, the way that our laws have clamped down on us, the, the taking off of the shoes and the, and the TSA at the airports and the suspicion and, and, the, and, and the, the espionage and the wars that we've started because of that, the aftermath of that event has lasted way longer than that event ever did. Our response to an event is substantially more important than that actual event because the event will end. Our memory of the event will dissipate. It'll be replaced with whatever story we've told ourselves about the event. Are you happy with that story that you're telling yourself about that event? Are you happy with the story that you're telling yourself about the trauma you had as a child or about the, the, the bad things that happened to you that led you to addiction, that brought you to us? You can rewrite a story anytime. And it's not necessarily lying to yourself. It's just seeing it from a different perspective. 
Think about a relationship that you've had with somebody, whether it was in a romantic sense or just a friendship. And I'll close out on this because I'm getting past my way past my time. Think about a relationship that you've had, whether it be romantic or just a friendship, right? Let's just come up with a hypothetical. Let's say that you were supposed to meet up with a friend at eight o'clock for dinner and they showed up. They didn't show up at all. Right? They left you. They stood you up at the restaurant for an hour and a half, and you were very angry with them. And you left mean messages on their phone. And the next morning, they called you, and they're like, "Oh my God, something so bad happened. You will never believe this. I had a rush over to my mom's house, and she was so sick. And oh my goodness, and everything was horrible. And it's going to take you know a week or two for whatever happened to heal. And oh my gosh, I'm just so glad that it's over. I'm so sorry. I I, I stood you up, and you feel bad." You feel bad for having yelled at them, and you you feel you feel guilty, and so you want to make amends, and you forgive them for not for standing up, and you hope that they'll forgive you for being mad and, and leaving mean messages, right? And you walk away, and you feel like the, the friendship has become stronger because you went through that with each other. Then six months later, you find out that they stood you up because they wanted to go out and have dinner with somebody else who they thought was more important. Now, the story you had up until you found out that that person stood you up to go out and have dinner with somebody else was that they had to go save their mom's life and all this bad stuff happened and you were a dick because you said mean things on the phone. You had, and, and, they, and they were this awesome person who went and saved their mom. right? You had this one story and you were solid on this story. And then all of a sudden, six months later, you find out new information and your viewpoint, everything about that story that night has now changed. You completely see it completely differently. Now you think they're a liar, they're a bastard, and now you don't want to be friends with them anymore. This is just an example of how how you feel about a story now does not necessarily mean you'll feel the same about the story six months or a year from now if new information shows up or you just learn something new or develop something new or grow into a new person. I used to love telling my drunk, crazy, Grateful Dead stories. Used to go to all these concerts and take all this acid and do all this ridiculous crap. I used to love telling those stories. I do not tell those stories anymore. It's not that I'm ashamed of my actions back then. It's just that those stories no longer serve me. I don't hang my hat on how fucked up I used to be able to get and still live. Now I might use those as examples to help other people, you know, get out of their own way now. But the way I saw those stories when I was 25 is not the same way I see those stories at 40. And I'm not lying to myself. I've just changed my perspective on those stories. You can change your perspective on any story you choose. A major trauma where you were the victim as a nine-year-old can now become the wind beneath your wings as a 40-year-old that gives you strength to go out and help other nine-year-olds overcome things, that gives you the strength to go out and write a book, that gives you the strength to go out and lead your own addiction recovery meetings, that gives you the strength to go lift weights so that you're physically fit so that when you do smash your face on the bottom of the ocean, the doctors are blown away that your resting heart rate is 48. You can change your perspective around anything. You just have to want to. There has to be a why about that. Why do I want to change my perspective? Why do I want to get sober? If you think that you're stuck or you're standing still or that you're not enjoying your sobriety, ask yourself, what perspective are you taking on it? If your perspective is that you are now um, withholding something that you really want, that, that, that you've now... It's like you went on a diet, right? And you love 
dark chocolate. Now no more dark chocolate. Well, now you've taken something away from yourself without adequately filling something back into that void that the taking has just opened. Well, why do you want to stop eating dark chocolate? Why do you want to do this, that, or the other? There has to be a why that takes that place. Why are we sober? Because we realize that living our lives as a fucked up individual who's always intoxicated, who isn't in touch with their emotions, who's doing nothing about their mental acuity, who doesn't give a two dams about their physical fitness, and lives a life lacking in humility and integrity and gratitude is not the way to live. So then when you take alcohol and drugs away, you have to put a strong why into the gap. Why am I doing this? Because I, I want to be a better person? I need, I need more of a why than that. Why do you want to be a better person? So that my family loves me. Why do you want your family to love you? Because I want to feel love. Why do you want to feel love? Because I didn't feel it as a child. Why didn't you feel love as a child? Because my parents were intoxicated and they didn't know how to feel. Why didn't they know how to do that? Because their parents were intoxicated or their parents didn't know how to feel. When you keep asking yourself why, you dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the ocean of all of the energies that have created this world that you now live in. The more you can answer the whys, the more you can move on to what sobriety and recovery will look like for you. The more you can answer the why you want to get sober, then what sobriety and recovery will look like, the more you get into the how. How will you know your life is better whenever you're sober and you're in addiction recovery? If it's just that I'll wake up every day happy, that's a shitty answer because you won't wake up every day happy. One day you'll wake up on a Sunday morning, you're both both of your arms will barely be able to move, your nose will look like a freaking apricot (laughs) and you won't be able to chew because you've ripped open your mouth having your 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 provider of proof that you're happy in sobriety and recovery be i will wake up every day happy is not a good answer because in the big scheme of life every once in a while we're gonna smash our faces up against the bottom of the ocean and it's not necessarily that event that we, because we can't go back and change that event. But every single day we can change the way we perceive the event. We can change the lesson that we learn from the event. We can change the energy we have around the event. We can choose to see it as an opportunity for growth and not as the demise of our perfect little life. When my right hand finally gets back to normal, when my pinky is finally out of this little splint, I won't forget how hard it was for me to overcome more of the emotional than it was even the physical scars that have come from this. And that's what it's like everywhere. How you handle the aftermath is so important whether it's this corona quarantine or it's coming out of a relationship or whether it's an argument you had with a partner, spouse, or family member, or friend, whatever is going on in your life, 
yes, you want to learn resources and tools that help you handle that situation when you're in the moment. If you're arguing with somebody, realizing that emotionally triggered is no way two people should talk to one another, so you step away from it and you come back more balanced and centered, that's going to help you not say some stupid shit that's going to cause you to get madder at, at one another and possibly completely destroy the relationship. Yes, you want those tools, but after the argument's done, what is the healing like? What is your perspective of that event like a day, a week, a month, five months later? These are the things that we want to be aware of. And I have now talked for almost 50 minutes, and I don't really think I had any... (laughs) I know I had a lot of points in there, but they weren't organized very well. So (laughs) I appreciate it if you've made it this far. Um, Somewhere in all of this is, 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 is... something to be taken from, whether it's that it's your response to the event afterwards, uh, whether it's having the mindset that everything won't be right all the time and that it's okay and not to beat yourself up about it, whether it's doing a little research before you go out there and do something physically active that you haven't done in a long time, if ever, right? If it's being able to communicate better with yourself and feel your feelings and understand that we're all human and we don't have everything right. And I wake up sad some days and I don't know why, but that's okay. What's not okay is blaming somebody else for my sadness. What's not okay is thinking that a drink or a hit is all of a sudden going to make this better. We know the story of addiction so well that we could tell it with our eyes closed. We don't need to go back and watch that movie anymore. Through all of the uncertainty that life can hand me, there's one thing I can be certain about, is that I will not consume alcohol or drugs. I know I'll, I'll, now, now I'll definitely close on this. I know a lot of people are like, well, God willing, I won't, God willing, I won't use. I, I don't I don't I don't get that and I don't mean to offend you if that's something that you say. But I don't I don't get that. I, I don't get what God has to do with, with me using. Well, you never know, Jesse, you might, something might come up and it just it just has to happen. No. <laughs> no, it does not just have to happen. The sun has to come up. That has to happen. Very few things past that have to happen. Oh, this horrible thing just happened. I have to go drink in order to handle it. That does not have to happen. When somebody says, God willing, I, I, I turn, I, in my head, I'm thinking, me willing. I don't need God to make sure that I don't drink or use. Me willing. The responsibility is on you. I'm not going against AA or Refuge or any of those others who say, you know, the tenets are I have to release my power. over. I'm not releasing my power to shit. My power is my power. I had the power to see what happened to me on the boogie board better than I did. And now I'm learning from it. And now I'm getting fired up. I have the power over my behaviors, over my thoughts, over my feelings. I'm not handing that over to somebody else. I did that for 22 years in addiction. I blamed other people. I handed over my power. I'm definitely not giving up my power now. It's my power. God, you can come along for the ride. By all means, everyone's invited. Come on, Refuge. You got some Buddha stuff going on? Cool. 
young people in recovery, you guys got some cool stuff going on. Everybody come on for the ride. What you doing over there, Smart Recovery? Yeah, man, jump on board. What, you're uh, like something I've never even heard of, I don't even know to reference right now? Yeah, come on too. Everybody's invited. But it's my power that will determine my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, and my results. And in the future, maybe I'll do a little bit more research before I go off and boogie board. I want you guys to just realize that you are in control of yourself way more than you're giving yourself credit for. You don't need prayer to decide if you're going to go use today or not. You just have to know a why that is so freaking powerful that come hell or high water, you will not go back to your old behaviors. I'll smash my face up against 75 ocean floors and I will still come out of it sober. We'll talk to you guys next week. Much love. Power positive energy, release and flow, inclusive over exclusive. Be awesome. Be great. Be powerful. Know that you are in charge of you. So make sure you're happy with your actions. Much love. (music) 